God fall fresh now on this preacher and on these your blood bought children in the name of our brother Jesus I pray amen friends today is the eve of independence day and I want to ask you how would you define freedom to the prisoner, it means being released from behind bars. To the doctor, it may mean being able to try a new medication for better results for the patient. To the teenager, it may be being able to set their own curfew. These all sound good, but this is not, for me, a good definition of freedom. There are just they are just examples of what it means to exercise our own personal liberty but freedom isn't personal or private freedom my brothers and sisters is public we are living in a strange time where civil and social and political norms are being challenged by current events the news channels are full of stories about threatening court rulings, economic upheaval, murderous rampages that are done by military-style weapons. The news media is being criticized for overcovering these events and these stories that they are the ones that incite the masses. But my friends, citizens, the citizens today who choose not to study the ways of the world will soon find themselves embroiled in its backlash anyway. Freedom is subjective. It requires interpretation. But beware of the one that does the interpreting. While the greatest of minds have been trying to figure out the limits of freedom, Christians are called to balance our civil freedom against those freedoms granted by God. In Galatians 5, it says, Brothers and sisters, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The question then becomes, how do we balance our loyalty to God with our loyalty to country. Are we for God and country? You know, when the American Legion was formed in 1919, there was little debate about how this issue would be addressed. It was no question, and, and, and it was included in the preamble in the American Legion Constitution, the words for God and country. To the Legion's founders, these words were synonymous. Service to God was service to country. And service to country was service to God. Even when the organizers sought spiritual leadership for this newly formed veteran group, it came to no one's surprise that they turned to military chaplains for guidance. You see, chaplains had shared their hardship and suffering of the soldiers and sailors in the trenches. They knew them, 
They knew the emotion and psychological toll combat had taken on them. Four chaplains, a Roman Catholic, an Episcopalian, and two Baptists, were instrumental in founding the the American Legion and provided a spiritual underpinning for this new organization. These four, Charles Brent, Francis A. Kelly, Thomas H. Wiles, and John Washington Enzer, help chart a course of service for God and country. God and country. How do we combine the two? Should we combine the two? After all, our Constitution separates church and state, but does that really apply to Christians? I hear you asking, Sylvester, what does that have to do with the seven churches in Revelation? For my purpose and for my discourse, everything. Paul formed many of these churches that are now were coming of age in a society that threatened it very ways. The church was under attack, not from the outside, but from the inside. Many people reading Revelations for the first time, particularly new Christians, It seems like a scary gloom and doom book that says the world is going to come to an end. But on the contrary, my friends, when we began to understand the keys to the writing and the writing style of this book, it becomes more familiar and recognizable. You see, Revelations is written in a style that we call apocalyptic. And to the senior Old Testament scholars in John's day and those familiar with the newly new gospels and Paul's writings, they would have been familiar with this style of writing. You see, you can find this style of writing in the Old Testament and Daniel and Joel, Zechariah and parts of Isaiah were well-developed apocalyptic language. Much of the symbolism in the book of Revelations are taken from the Old Testament books. So, my friends, you have to understand the Old Testament to understand what John is trying to communicate to us in this important letter. It is written to church people, for church people, in a language that only church people would understand. The Old Testament utilizes the same style in its encouragement of the church. This prophecy was written to encourage the church. Christ wanted the church to understand that there are going to be hardships, there are going to be trials, there are going to be tribulations, but through it all, you are not alone. The words of the prophecy were originally intended to be read aloud. We have to assume that anyone with mature biblical knowledge, good knowledge of the old and New Testament, such as an elder in the church, would be able to make sense of the book at the time it was written. The book is thought to be written by the Apostle John after being banished to the island of Patmos. Revelations was revealed to John on Patmos by Jesus. He was banished there, John was, for his testimony about Jesus. The book opens as John is watching the festivities of the Lord's Day. At this time, 
the heads of the Christian church had combined most of Roman culture in the church. John was thought to be the one who continued to preach truth to the church leaders to come back to the ways of Christ. Ultimately, he was banished on the island for speaking truth to power. The Lord's Day was not what we think of as the Lord's Day. We think of Sunday as the Lord's Day, a day where we come and gather in corporate worship to give honor to God. But during John's time, the emperor was called Lord. So this would have been a day when the people, including the church, were celebrating Lord Caesar's Day. On a certain day each year, all Roman citizens had to go to their local city shrines and, and toss some incense on the official altar and declare Caesar is Lord. This became known as the Lord's Day. It was a day of Roman patriotism. But in Revelations chapter 1, verse 10, John says, on the Lord's Day, I was in the spirit. It's what my kids call woke. While everybody was celebrating the Lord, the Lord Caesar's day, I knew better because I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. While others were worshiping Caesar as Lord, the spirit of Jesus was revealing to me the truth about the day. He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus who told him to write these words to the seven churches. Seven, we'll speak more about this as the weeks come, is a whole number, meaning write this letter to the entire church. The seven churches were seven actual churches in Rome, in the Roman province of Asia, which is now the west coast of Turkey. Pat Turkey, Patmos is a Greek island in the Aegean Sea, not far from Ephesus. In John's day, you would sail from Patmos to the port of Ephesus and then travel over land to each of the churches that are given in order in Revelations 1.11. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Pergamon in the north, which was the capital of the province, although Ephesus was the most important city in that area. Jesus called the Ephesians to repent. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. In this case, the corrective was to remember the heights of their former love. Repent. Change your mind about the current status that you are in. And return to their previous way of doing things. It was a time for revival in the church. Revival is not meant for those who come from the outside into the church. Revival is for the church to be revived, to regain its passion, to regain its, its, its need to serve God with all of our heart and all of our soul. It's a lot of information in the Bible about the church at Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was founded by Paul, where he reasoned with the Jews. And after that, he left Priscilla and Aquila in charge there. 
Paul came back to Ephesus and found some disciples who had not received the Holy Spirit. They had, not, they had been baptized into John's baptism. But when they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Paul spoke in the synagogue for three months and then in the lecture hall of Tyrannius for two years. Then came a disturbance. Ephesus was located in the area of the fertility, the fertility goddess Artemis who brought the Ephesians wealth through making silver images of herself on coins. They were afraid that because Paul was preaching this radical stuff about Christ, they would lose business and couldn't have enough money to fund the ministries at Ephesus. He said goodbye to the elders of Ephesus and returned to Jerusalem. In that same spot, centuries, centuries later, where Paul preached in the city hall, became a church that in 421 AD, they declared that Jesus Christ is both human and God. Ephesus was an important area. Ephesus was at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesus founded in an important seaport area where men and women were coming from all over the world, a central point in spreading the gospel to the known world. Ephesus was the most important city in the area, situated at the mouth of the Castor River on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea. It flourished as an important commercial export center for Asia. By the New Testament time, it had grown to more than 250,000 people. From the island of Patmos, one could go straight to Ephesus, the first church you would come to. Ephesus was the chief harbor. If you were going to travel that way, you needed to travel through Ephesus. Jesus says, and this is Jesus dictating this letter, John is just a scribe. This is not a letter inspired by God. This is a letter that was spoken by God in Jesus Christ and told his son John to write these words down. It was a dictated manuscript that came straight from the Lord. The letter claims to be that Jesus is the one that has authorship over this letter. It is appropriate, I think, that the last letter to the church that was sustained through trials and tribulations through the ages until Jesus returns would be authored by Jesus. It was Jesus' description of what was going wrong with the church, the whole church. You see, the church was meant to change the world, not for the world to change the church. 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Seven golden lampstands represented each church. Seven stars represent all the elders or the angels that Jesus holds them in his hand. Jesus walks among the churches. These are not churches that have been abandoned by the Lord. These are churches that God visits daily. Jesus knows what's happening in the church. He knows their hardships. He knows their trials and tribulations. And he's there to give them encouragement of how to sustain themselves and how to be a true and accurate witness in their day and time. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you have tasted those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false and stayed with me. Jesus knows because he walks with them. He understands how hard it is to be an Ephesian in a Roman world. He knows that they're doing all they can to be righteous. They're feeding the hungry. They're clothing the naked. They are not letting infiltrators come and scare them from the mission of the church. Jesus said, I know your works. You're working hard. Yet, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Your first love. You remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? I do. You couldn't tell me that I couldn't go to East St. Louis with no money and by myself and start a new church. I would have climbed the highest wall and jumped over the highest mountain if Jesus asked me to do it. I was so in love with Jesus that no matter where Jesus wanted me to go, I would go. Jesus says, I know your works, but you've forgotten your first love. Love God and your neighbor as yourself. The hard work of ministry. Even though the Ephesians were working hard, they did everything that God required them. They walk with the poor. They visit the imprisoned. They did not let the influence of a fertility God influence them. They did not let the false doctrines of the Nicolaitans infiltrate them. But my brothers and sisters, they worked so hard on keeping the bad things out. They worked so hard on judging who were false prophets and who were not false prophets, that they forgot to love God and they forgot to love each other. Some in the church were even saying, Apollos is a greater preacher than Paul. Some were saying, the Nicolaitans are great people. And those arguments caused the people in that great church to forget they were there to change the world, not by feeding the poor and clothing the naked. They were there to change the world by how they treated one another. 
It was through their love of God and their love of each other that would ultimately change the world. When people saw how they cared for one another, when people saw that they would not let no outside threat divide them, but they would remain faithful to Christ and let Christ sort out the gibberish. But they would love one another. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Do the things, Sylvester, that made you go back to East St. Louis and work tirelessly. Do the things that you did before you became a pastor and elder in the church and you found out that there's conflict in the church. Do the things that you did before you discovered that a lot of the stuff that you do, nobody will recognize. In fact, most people will criticize you for doing it. Do the things you did because you were so grateful that God loved you enough to die for you that you couldn't help but love your brothers and sisters whom he also died for. Repent. Go back to changing the world through how we treat one another. Church, we have to be careful about being so busy doing the work of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the work. God calls us to stay in love with God. Prayer, meditation, Bible study, corporate worship, hanging around each other, those are the prescriptions for staying in love with God. To him that overcomes will be given the tree of life. No matter how hard it is, God will reward us with a lifetime in eternity where time stops and no one, no one is forsaken. Church, forget not your first love. Don't let no preacher stand here and take your love from God. Don't let nothing you see other people say or do take your love from each other and God. We will never do anything more important than to love each other. Who can you this week who may be on the verge of losing their first love, what can you do to speak a word to them that may cause them to come back to Christ and come back to a loving fellowship in normal Calvary United Methodist Church? Lord, we thank you for this word 
this word that was given to your son John, given to him by our own brother Jesus. Jesus, who wants the church to succeed in the world. Jesus, who is calling the church in these trying times to stay close, to continue to find ways to love each other and ways to love him. Jesus, who says, if we but love one another, all these other things will fall into praise. In the name of the one who went to the cross for our sake. Amen.